Welcome to the second episode in our series where we are looking at the end time. So the purpose of this study is we are looking at all relevant scriptures throughout the Bible to see uh, if we can identify important pieces of information mm. that pertain specifically to our preparation yes. to be ready for the end time. So we want to be ready for the return of the Lord. We're looking at all the details surrounding that. But before He returns, there is a period of persecution for believers. Um, there's a period of tribulation and um, we're going to look at some of the details. Obviously, in a study like this, we are going to have another look at the mark of the beast. There's a lot of speculation going around in our time regarding that. We're going to specifically uh, to, uh, pay attention to everybody being having the right information regarding the signs that we could consider when it comes to the end of time, what would the signs be leading up to the end of time. But most importantly, we want to see how will the body of Messiah mm -hmm. get itself ready, ready mm. itself for the great shaking and persecution yes. yeah. and tribulation. So we know, without a shadow of a doubt, that there will be a generation of believers, mm -hmm. a, a group of people in a certain time, that will have to come face to face with the beast and the Antichrist, and that will deal with the circumstances mm -hmm. that will prevail upon the earth. Mm -hmm. In the time of the beast. Yes. He will rule and reign. Satan will lit literally rule and reign humanity and gain all authority and power over humanity. And mm. there will be a group of believers that would have had to be prepared and yes. equipped to come face to face with that. And in this study we're specifically looking at, if we could identify mm. markers. Yes. In the scriptures, mm. that is meant to be activators yes. in different uh, generations of believers. Because certain things we know has been restored over time uh, and over many generations it's been restored to the church. Mm. Uh, because there will have to be a perfecting of the bride. The church and the body will come to a perfect unity yes. and a maturity and a perfection. Now all of this, all of these realities, all of these processes are moving through time and it is heading towards the end of time. And the end of time entails a period of difficulty, persecution and great faith mm. and great harvest and then it entails the return of the Lord. So, in this study we are going to look at something that might surprise certain people. We are going to look at the possible importance of 
the Endheim Church deciding on which name they will use to worship the Son of God. Now, you want to maybe give us understanding. Some people out there might say, what are you talking about? Yeah, so, I mean, it might be that for many of us watching this clip, uh, might have never even heard of the ongoing debate or facts or questions surrounding the name of the Son of God. Um, so, let me clarify this. So, obviously, you might say, well, what, what we don't even understand. Is there a question to ask? Is there any reason to even consider anything else? I've known him, I've grown up in the church, or I've been in church for a long time. Everyone just uses the name Jesus Christ. My parents, my grandparents have been using the name Jesus Christ. It's even translated in my Bible, and my Bible says his name is Jesus Christ. There's no, what is the deal? <laughs> why, why are you asking this question? It, 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 should there be a question? I mean, I can open my Bible and everywhere it says Jesus. Exactly. What's the problem? So you could just take in that stance and it, I mean, you could probably get away with taking in that stance and saying, well, there is no question to be asked. The answer is plain and clear. Um, but so today we want to just pose the question, is there enough evidence? Is there enough reason to ask the question? to perhaps consider that his name could have taken another form. So, <clears throat> you can go do your own research. There's ample uh, sources and resources that can be used. And um, factually, historically, academically, it is proven that the original given name for the Son of Man or the Son of God was a Hebrew name. And it was some form of Yahushua. Now, um, again, we're not so we're not doing this study to prove that it was a different name and that it wasn't this name. That's not the information is there. If you want to, you can go do the research. So, okay, let's just make sure everybody gets this. Mm -hmm. You have to ask yourself a question: Is there any doubt that this Messiah? The man from Nazareth yes. that would become the Savior. That person, is there any question that he was born as a Jew? That's a question you've got to ask yourself. Mm. Was he born a Jew? Then you've got to ask yourself, which language would they have written his name in? Mm. Was it English or Jewish? <laughs> So, have a look at the way that the Jewish language is written. So, I just want to make sure that we understand, when we're talking about, should we consider the importance of the form of the name, the sound of the name, the name that we are worshipping him in, we're not going to pay attention to the Hebrew form, possible correct pronunciation of the Hebrew name. So, we're going to just put this out there. If you look at what, the way it's written in Hebrew, you're not even going to be able to read it. Yeah. Uh, you will have to translate it into English with our alphabet, mm. our way of writing, to get some idea of how to pronounce the name. Mm. Okay. Here we're dealing only with the question, did he have a Hebrew name possibly? 
and was that name Jesus? That's what we're dealing with. So, you can take us further. Right, so we said that one of the uh, better arguments to take would be, well, the Bible translates his name as Jesus Christ, or at least Jesus. So, what's the question? Well, um, historic fact proves to us that the name Jesus actually is fairly new in context mm. of world history. It's actually quite a young translation of another name, uh, which we'll look at now. So the name Jesus has only been in, in existence for around about 500 years. And the reason for that is, is as simple as this. The letter J that we have in our alphabet didn't exist up until about 500 years ago. So when the letter J made in its... In the Greek alphabet. Yeah, so yeah. when the letter J made its appearance, then they could finally translate the name into Jesus, which is what we have today. And uh, the name Jesus, interestingly enough, was, like I said, a translation of another translation. And that was the Greek form of his name, which was Iesus. Now, the name Iesus was used for about 1,500 years since the start, round about the start of Christianity. But the reason that name came into existence was because of this. So, undoubtedly, the Lord, the Son of God, was a Hebrew man, born to a Hebrew family, in a Hebrew nation, in the country of Israel. His disciples would have been Hebrew people, Israelites. He ministered mainly to Hebrews. And so his name would have been a Hebrew name. We'll look at that some more now. And so... As the first generation church would have gone out, they would have prophesied or, or, or proclaimed his name and preached the gospel in his name, but that would have been his Hebrew name. Then, as the because remember, the gospel went out to the Gentiles and they were mainly Greek. And when they had to write anything down, the official language would have been the Greek language. So as records started coming about of this man from Nazareth, when it came to the point where they had to start recording his name in the Greek language, obviously we know that the Greek alphabet and the Hebrew alphabet were completely different. So it was difficult to write down a Hebrew name in the Greek language using the Greek alphabet. So it was as simple as some of the letters weren't available. So they had to transliterate or translate his name to a form that could be written down using the Greek alphabet. And the transliteration that that then took was Iesus. But that doesn't mean that his name changed. It was just a translation of his name so that it could be written down. But then as, as Christianity progressed and with the reign of Constantine, later on the name Iesus, the Greek form of his name, became the official name that would be used in Christianity. And so that name was used for around about 1,500 years. Like we said, then alphabet changed, and then the name Jesus and various different translations of that name then took form. And so now we have a Bible that uses the name Jesus Christ, but that doesn't mean that his name was originally Jesus. Um, and so again, we could say, well, I mean, if the Bible says it, then it must be true. But even if the Bible does translate his name into the latest translation that we have in the English language, 
The Bible doesn't actually write out completely or deny the fact that his name had a Hebrew form. And so let's go to one scripture that does emphatically actually prove this. And this is in Acts chapter 26. And so we pick it up in the round about the middle of the chapter. And we all know the story. It, it actually reads, uh, Paul recounts his conversion. So Paul's going to tell the story of the day that the Lord appeared to him. We all know the story. He was on his way on the road to Damascus, persecuting believers. <laughs> and a bright light shines around him. The people fall to the ground that are with him. And we pick it up at verse 14. And he says, And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying, In the Hebrew language. Please make a note of that. That's important. So the voice is speaking to him in the Hebrew language and then it says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Yahushua, whom you are persecuting. Now why can I read a Hebrew name in this, in this passage when clearly the translation actually says I am Jesus? Well, simply because of this in verse 14, this information when Paul says the voice spoke to him in the Hebrew language. Now, if the Lord spoke to him in the Hebrew language, introducing himself to Paul, why would he use a Greek name to introduce himself if the rest of his sentence is going to be in Hebrew and he does have a Hebrew name? So if he has a Hebrew form of his name and he's going to speak to Paul in Hebrew, why would he insert a Greek form of his name? Mm. That's very significant because this means that the Lord introduces himself to the man that is going to be the greatest influence um, in the formation of the new Christian faith. And he introduces himself to the greatest of his apostles um, in the Hebrew language by his Hebrew name. So ask yourself the question at this point, is there any likelihood, any chance that in this specific uh, phenomenal occurrence mm -hmm. of the Lord revealing himself, is there any statistical chance that this voice would have used the name Jesus? Is there any logical, reasonable way that the voice would have said, I am Jesus, to Paul. Just a yes or a no, without a but in between. Mm. This is where you start the process like this. Mm. Um, I want to interject something here. One of the characteristics that will become increasingly important for a believer as we move towards the end times mm -hmm. would be the characteristic that defines us and separates us, differentiates us from everybody else. Mm -hmm. And that is the love of the truth. Yes. The love of the truth. Um, and this is one of those difficult emotional factors. Mm -hmm. Uh, that will show who's who. See, in the end days, truth will have to be pure and purified. 
within our thinking, untainted. Mm. Okay, so if we are going to prepare for the persecution, and we want to make sure that we will be able to stand, mm. um, and we, we can only imagine how much pressure there would be, how much fear there would be, how much... Um, how little leeway there would be for movement or when, when the beast is forcing the mark upon humanity. Now, we would all like to know, think that we will stand mm. and we will resist the Antichrist and we know that the way that the Bible tells us we'll stand is by the armor of God. This brings us to a very important factor. The belt in the armor mm. of God is truth. Not truths, mm. but truth. And truth for the end-time church will have to be undefiled, purified, authentic, authenticated. Truth has to, will have to increasingly be absolutely pure in the mind, the doctrine, the heart mm. of the end time believer mm. for the armor to enable a person to be safe and to stand. Now, I just asked every viewer to just answer the question, is there any chance that uh, the voice of the Lord, uh, the Son of God, the Messiah, the King of Kings, revealing himself to Paul, is there any chance that he would use the word Jesus or name Jesus in this introduction? At this moment, your thoughts and your heart will tell you whether you have a love of the truth or you have a, a willingness to compromise on the truth. You already know at this moment. Okay, let's move on. So, the question, next question on the table, the question we're going to look at to answer is, is the usage of the name going to be very important in the end time for those believers that will have to stand? So we already said that truth will have to be pure and um, for us to stand. But now, does the Bible specifically... Tell us that the name is going to be important. Let's have a look at it. Mm. So let's go to Revelation chapter 13. And we'll start at verse 1. Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns. And on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now let's go down to verse 6. So please take note. The beast, forget all the other details for the sake of the study. This beast, specifically it's written, has a name. A singular name written on all his heads. A blasphemous name. Now let's go down to verse 6. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. So the beast 
who has a blasphemous name on his head, is going to blaspheme the name of God. So I just have to add a personal note. I have to literally physically calm myself down when I read that or hear that. Out of all the things it says that the beast will do, and he will kill thousands of believers, out of all the things he will do, this is what gets me angry straight away, ready to fight. He will blaspheme the name of God. Carry on. Let's go to verse 17. Or we can pick it up at verse 16. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. Now, usually when we think of the mark of the beast, we are aware of this one element. There will be the mark of the beast received on the right hand or on the forehead. But very few believers know that there are actually three options of receiving the mark. So there's either just the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Right, now let's go to Revelation chapter 14. And we read verse 11. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, who worship the beast and his image, whoever receives the mark of his name. So this is why we would passionately pursue getting this message out to God's people. It doesn't say the sinners, mm. those who were drinkers or gamblers. It's those who received the mark of the name of the beast. Uh, basically the name of Satan himself. So this is what it's all going to boil down to mm. in the end of the day. And... Um, it's not a message that's being screened from the mountaintops right now. It's not the message that's going to make us popular. Mm-hmm. It's a message that has brought us a lot of persecution, a lot of reviling. People have done all kinds of things to resist us on this. It is a passion that we believe um, has been placed in our hearts in a mission that we have embarked on that is costing us dear friends and um, people that otherwise we have agreement with and, and can have a relationship with they will reject us on the basis of this one message that we believe is important have a look at what it says It says, and the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. Because they received the mark of the name of the beast. Not just a mark, any mark. The mark of his name. 
we can carry on. Let's go to Revelation chapter 15, and we'll read verse 2. And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who have the victory over the beast, over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God. That's our people. Yeah. Okay, and then, um, lastly in this section of Revelation, uh, we'll read Revelation chapter 17, verse 3. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And then the woman we know is Mystery Babylon the Great. And she's riding on a beast that has blasphemous names written all over him. So. so the question on the table is, if we are looking at the signs of the end times, if we're looking at the details of what the beast could be, identifying what the abomination of desolation could be, and we're in the process of explaining that, we're going to shed some light on what the abomination of desolation could be. If we're looking at um, us learning to discern the times, but most importantly, if we are dealing with the question of how do we prepare? How do we make sure we're going to stand? How do we make sure that we are pure in truth um, and pure in our devotion to the Lord? Then we have to answer this question. How important is this question of the name of the Son of God? Mm. As we move closer and closer to the day where the beast rises in its final horror upon the face of the earth. How important is this question of the name of the Savior, of the returning King, in the end time scenario? Now, I'm hoping that you all saw this great emphasis placed mm -hmm. on names not just the name of the Son of God, the name of the beast, but we are going to show you that these things are linked. It's not separate issues. So let's recap. We saw that the first beast has a name written on his heads. We saw that Satan gives this beast power to blaspheme the name of God. So high on his agenda of actions and things to do is to go against and defame the name of God on the earth so that he can replace the name of God with his own name so that he can have his name worshipped and honor and glory brought to his name. And then we see in uh, the scripture that he's going to give his name to the nations and the multitudes. The beast is going to give his name to them. They're going to receive his name. Then, in verse 7, it's very interesting that it says he is also gaining authority over the nations, tribes, and tongues. Now this signifies that he's going to gain authority over, over languages. All the languages of the uh, nations. 
So you see, in order to replace the name of God with his name, he's going to have to manipulate. Mm. And through cultural bar barriers and divisions, through language barriers, so that his name becomes the name of names. Now, um, let's, can we just look at what the Lord says about his name? Yes, so let's go to the seven letters in the beginning of Revelation. And we'll start in Revelation chapter 2. And we'll read from verse 3. And this is the Lord himself speaking to the seven churches. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Then Revelation chapter 2 verse 13. The Lord says, I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith. You can go read the rest. And then Revelation chapter 3 verse 8. The Lord says, I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. So, in these letters to the churches, and we believe that these letters are for the church of all ages, always applicable, always a commentary, a guidance, and a rebuke so that we may come in line with his true will. We see in these letters to the churches that um, he chooses to comment on their good works and what is good about them, and he specifically says that they labored for his name's sake. Let's just launch back over a 2,000-year history of the Christian faith. How many uh, thousands and thousands of people have devoted their labors to um, religion, to church, to projects in His name, and to a name have labored for the sake of a name. A name that was translated from another name that was a translated form of another name. Would all those labors be in vain? Good question. It's a question to ask. He says, hold fast to his name. If he said, we should hold fast to his name. How do we justify saying, well, I'm holding fast to your name. It's just not the name that was yours. It's the name that we gave you. Hmm. So how do we justify, if he says, hold fast to my name, how do we justify changing his name? And then it says in the letters, you have not denied my name. And they went and translated the entire Bible and changed his name. 
How does how does the changing of the name of the Son of God, even in our Bibles, uh, equal holding fast to His name and not denying His name? How does that equal that? Anyway, okay, let's go and just look at. We have, we still have to answer the question: Is the name Jesus the same thing as the mm-hmm. name Yahushua? Let's go to when the name was given and by let's see by whom mm. it was given. Let's go to the Gospel of Luke, all the way to chapter 1. And we'll pick it up at verse 26. It says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, We'll skip ahead a bit. We're not going to read everything. And then let's pick it up at verse 29. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Yahushua. No, but the angel said Jesus. It says, it says, it says Jesus. Jesus. It says, an angel appeared to Mary and it said, you shall call, call his name, name Jesus. Jesus. Now, you're going to have to again be honest with yourself, viewer. Historically, there's no question, no question. Mm that Jesus is not even anymore a Greek form of the name that was given. It was another translation that we can use in English. That came from a Greek translation, Jesus. So we have to now be honest with ourselves. Is there any chance, any possibility, that the angel sent by Almighty God out of heaven to Mary to give her the news she would bear the Son of God. And he specifically, God specifically says to Gabriel before he leaves, he says, remember Gabriel, remember to tell her which name to give him. Mm. Is there any chance that the angel would tell her to give him a Greek name? Maybe it was just, you know, way before it's time. Yeah, maybe Gabriel thought, let's just give him the name now. They're not Greek now. But the name is going to be have to be translated anyway. So maybe let's just even, give him the future. Maybe it the was name Jesus. You use in the future. It's written Jesus. Maybe because God knows all things outside of time, mm. He just gave went him like, a, a name going, from the future. So we're going to ignore the fact that this boy would be born a Jew to Jewish parents in a Jewish culture, and we'll just fulfilling give him an Jewish English prophecy. Name so long. <laughs> you know, we'll give him an English name because people are going to name by this name. In 2,000 years' time, so let's just give him the name there. Everybody's confused. Like, where is this? What? What's the name? Imagine, <laughs> imagine him presenting himself as the Messiah What's in the, the synagogue with a Greek name. No matter. Oh. That, that, that would explain why they would stone him. Okay, so you have to be honest with yourself. Is there any possibility that what is written here could be true? Is there any possibility this angel 
told Mary to call him Jesus. Any possibility whatsoever. Okay. Go check for yourself. Historically, it's proven that he was given a Hebrew name, and that name is Yahushua. Okay. So, a father names his son. I would say that God the Father has the right to name his son. And, um, okay, so how would we feel if this was true, that God the Father sends an angel, tells Mary, name this boy Yahushua. The name, we explain it in other teachings, has a significant long um, prophetic unfolding importance because it comes all through the Old Testament scriptures. It's first quoted by Moses. Um, you can go have a look at that absolutely historic fact. Um, in the Song of Moses, when they come through the Red Sea. So, now... This historic name that is of important prophetic significance all through the Old Testament is intentionally given to the Father because it has been prepared over a 4,000 year period for the giving of the name. It has significant specific meaning. Uh, Yahweh's salvation. It contains the name of Yahweh himself. So that's the uh, potency of the truth. And he specifically asks Mary, give him this name, please. And you know what? How would you feel if she decided, we're going to do everything else, but I'm just going to give him another name? Still the same baby. Still the same baby. It's just a detail. He still does everything the same. Yeah, still, still the son of God. Teach everything. He's still the son of God, and we're still going to believe in the same person. Mm. Mary just decides, no, give him another name. I like the name Rodriguez. So let's just call him Rodriguez. Why don't we? Because the name that the angel said is just not not for us. How would you feel about that if Mary gave him another name? Okay. So let's move on from there. So let's go to Acts chapter 4. And we're going to read this from, from verse 10, but the, the emphasis is going to be in verse 12. So it says, Peter is speaking, and he says, Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Yahushua HaMashiach of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Now here's where we want to emphasize. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So he's referring to a name given. Now we've just shown you where the name was given and by whom the name was given. You have to make sure which name was given. This is what you need to go and verify for yourself. Which name was given? Mm. So this is your responsibility. And you will be held accountable in the end time. But he says, 
places emphasis on there's only one name given, no other name given. So you might say, well, I was saved by the name Jesus and through the name Jesus and this word, and I've been serving the Lord for many years. But if you are watching this today, then this is Him prompting you to restore the proper name of the Son of God. Um, because see, we could be, we're not saying that salvation is not uh, given to people that doesn't yet know about the true name because Definitely. Satan made sure that name was, was obliterated. Um, uh, he tried to steal it from the world, but God is restoring it for the time of the end. Um, and so God reveals himself to us and he reveals his son as the savior, the lamb of God to us. And um, we come searching for this God that is speaking to us and calling us. And we encounter church and church has a huge hangover from culture and misinformation and ignorance. But it has a bigger hangover from satanic influence. And unfortunately, this is why we, by grace, have to even move through this um, deception of the name. Now, Peter makes it very clear. Mm. Uh, next scripture. Right, let's go to Philippians chapter 2. And we'll read from verse 9. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Yahushua every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Yahushua HaMashiach is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Again, the scripture places emphasis on the Father gave him the yes, name. Yes, so verse 9. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. So just factually, just according to scripture, not culture, not preference, just scripture, we have pinpointed the exact moment when the Son of Man, Son of God was given his name by the Father. He sends an angel to give Mary the name that she should give him. Right. So when we read these scriptures, we cannot fill in the blanks anywhere we want to. This is a direct reference to the Father giving His Son a specific name. And this name is above every other name. And this name has, therefore, authority and significance. And it is a name. A specific name. Mm -hmm. Given by the Father who is God. To his son, specifically. Okay, let's carry on. Okay, then this is quite a, a nice one. So, let's go to Hebrews chapter 4. And chapter 4 speaks about entering the rest of God, uh, which you can go read. Um, but we know that that uh, it's compared to the Israelites entering the promised land. So, for believers to enter the rest of God is the same as the Israelites entering the promised land. And then we see that in verse 8 of chapter 4 in Hebrews, it says, in the New King James translation, it says, For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. So, I don't want to look at the context of the verse. I want to look at the fact that it says Joshua 
if Joshua had given them rest. Now we know this Joshua refers to Joshua, the son of Nun, uh, who led the people of God into the promised land. But interestingly enough, if you go look at some of the other translations, so this is the New King James. If you go look at the King James Version, this, the translation actually reads, for if Jesus had given them rest. And this is not just true for the New King James and the King James, this is actually true for various translations. So go search this verse in various translations and you'll see that some translations use the, the name Joshua and others use the name Jesus. And it seems quite ridiculous that they can use these two persons interchangeably because clearly they lived in very different times and in very different contexts. So who, who is this piece of scripture referring to? And the reason they could do this, the reason the name could be used interchangeably, it's not about so much the person because we know that both have prophetic significance in, that pertains to this piece of scripture and what it's trying to explain prophetically. But the reason the name can be used interchangeably is because Joshua, the son of Nun, the original, the Hebrew form of his name, was also Yahushua. And this is undeniable. There's no, there's no way that he had a Greek form of a name or that his name was even close to somewhere like uh, Jesus or Joshua, even the, the English form. It's very important to understand that even with the son of Nun, Yahushua, uh, his name got changed because... The Hebrew people, the Jews, uh, in the time of their greatest falling away from God, the time preceding them being taken to Babylon and during Babylon, and they never ever returned to God from that moment onward. It's very clear in, in Yahushua's interactions with the Pharisees that he's making it clear you, you have lost the knowledge of God, you've actually taken away the key of knowledge, and... Um, uh, while in this great apostasy, they decide to write any form of the name of Yahweh out of all the scripture. Um, this was Satan's first steps in stealing the name and blaspheming the name of God. He actually got the Hebrew people to whom the name was uh, entrusted. Mm. Uh, Satan got them in their falling away to actually begin in, in, in trying to obliterate, uh, obliterate, trying to obliterate the name of God. And they changed the name of the Son of None mm. um, and changed the, just the letters so that it said Joshua and not Yahushua mm. because it contained the name of Yahweh and it was the prophetic foreshadowing of the actual Savior um, Messiah. Yahushua, of whom the son of Nun was just a prophetic unfolding figure leading the Israelites into the promised land. And so this scripture proves that the original form of the name was the same as the original form of the son of Nun. Yes. Now a good detective only have to go do a search to find what was the most proven original form of the son of Nun and then we could see what name would have been translated here. Mm. Because remember, even the King James and the New King James and all the translations we read are exactly that, they're translations. Mm. And so if the name Joshua and Jesus could be used interchangeably in a piece of scripture, then it means that in the original translation, it had to have been the same name. Okay. So now, we have 
still got to look at what has it got to do with us? Mm. Are we going to get away with just using Jesus? If my heart is right, still believing in um, the God of the Scripture, mm. is it necessary? Is it going to become important that I deal with this mm. issue? We could even argue that, well, I'm not a Jew, so why should I use the Jewish name? And then for the longest time, I thought we could just acknowledge the proper name of Yahushua, and still continue using it culturally um, and in context to our language um, as Jesus and it would be the same and it would certainly make unity with the rest of Christianity much easier and for the sake of unity I, I chose to embrace, still embrace both forms but um, uh, the Lord started making it clear that towards the end of times, it's it's not going to be a small matter. It's going to be a matter of life and death. It is going to be a matter of either choosing truth or choosing a lie. <clears throat> and um, I think there's a way for us, firstly an asset is to know, um, to kind of test our own hearts and thinking. Let's for argument's sake say that the evidence is undeniable and it's absolutely proven that uh, the Son of God had a Hebrew name. That name is Yahushua and not Jesus. So it's absolutely accepted as truth. Let's say that. And let's, for argument's sake, say that we are right and in the end time, the name would become absolutely a defining factor in whether or not we uh, are acceptable to God or not. So if we accepted the name Jesus Christ, we might be accepting the name of the beast. Let's say that for argument's sake. The way that we can test our own intentions and heart and motivations is by asking this question. Can we identify, instead of me looking at should I do it, can we identify who would under no circumstances, no matter how much evidence there mm. was, um, no matter if it, the evidence was undeniable, could we identify who would never consider ever uh, restoring the original name of the Son of God, but would, under all circumstances, uh, promote the name of Jesus Christ? Yes, we can. The first group vast group of people that we can identify is the Catholic Church and all the uh, little forms of other churches like the Anglicans and so forth that um, would be streams out of the Catholic Church. Vast numbers of people all over the world that are in this grouping would, no matter how much evidence you presented to them, they would never mm. even consider changing any part of their culture, they are still refusing to do away with idol worship and all the um, obviously unbiblical doctrines and so forth and so forth. And the name is one of those things. So the biggest group on earth that are going to insist on Jesus Christ being the name of the Son of God are them. Now ask yourself, uh, when it comes to end time, and those that would have the name of the beast 
and accept the name or the number of the name of the beast and those that would be persecuted for doing the walking in the truth, where would they fit in? And then you ask yourself, the other, there's other groups of people, identify them. Who else would never, ever um, acknowledge the truth about the name? Well, we know there's groups, great group, church groups, numbers of millions of people that reject outright the baptism that is key to eternal life, mm. and they have insisted on continuing to replace it with a form of baptism, baby baptism, that is non-biblical. And obviously, in my opinion, and uh, just I'm right, satanic. So now, those groups of people would never consider changing the name. Now, in considering where I am and what my motivations and stance are, do I want to group myself with them? Is that the group that I actually belong to? Although I'm going to deny belonging to it, when it comes, if it was just, if it boiled down to just the name, true believers say that you have to restore the name Yahushua HaMashiach, and there's another group that says, no, Jesus Christ is the name. If it, we just had to decide, there's two groups. Then the group that the Jesus Christ folk have to fall into is with the Catholics and the baby baptizers and all the other guys that will not conform to the truth of the Bible. Or is there a third group where you can fit yourself into? It's like, I'm not part of them. I'm not going to restore the name. I'm just going to be in another group. I have truth, but I will not acknowledge the truth of the name. This is an acid test. Another question to ask in that context is, and the facts are facts. I mean, the the Catholic religion, with all its idol worship going on, and they insist that the God they're worshiping is called Jesus. Do I really want to take the risk and say that, oh, my God is also called Jesus? It's just definitely not the same God not that the they're same. serving, because the, clearly they're serving an idol because everything they're doing is unbiblical, and they say their God is called Jesus. Uh, my God. It's also called Jesus, but it's, it's not the same God. How, how do you know for sure that it's not the same God? So God the Father gives his, his son a Jewish name, Yahushua. It gets changed over time and morphed into Jesus Christ. The vast majority of Christian idol worshippers... Um, We'll hang on to the name Jesus when we have the option to look at the true name of God. And I'm going to go like, I'm not worshiping the same God as them. That's not Definitely God. Not. They're not doing it right. I'm not part of them. But we, our God just has the same name. Yeah. And it's not the biblical given name. No, no, no. It's the other the translation. We're just hanging. We're just going to use the same translation. Is this making any common sense? Mm. Now, w- just hang on and test one more test. Just one more test to test. Mm. Your logic, your decision-making process, and the motivations of your heart. We're going to go to Revelation chapter 20. Just, just don't quit listening before you've done this one very important, taken the step. Um, Revelation 20. We're looking at what is called the thousand-year reign. Now, even this, 
and it's been debated and contested um, and there's some people that, that some groups and theologians that don't believe that he will reign for a thousand years but that's besides the point now let's for argument's sake say that this is really what's going to happen the way it's after written. all the persecution and everything it says that in chapter 19 um, it boils down to verse 20 it says that, that the beast and the prophet the false prophet and the beast there's a clash a dramatic event the beast and the false prophet they cast into the lake of fire the rest of the hordes that received the number of his name his name and the mark they killed by the sword then in chapter 20 it says an angel comes down he binds Satan the devil with a chain and he costs him imprisons him in a bottomless pit ok this is the beginning of a thousand year period where Satan will not be let out of the bottomless pit mm. for a thousand years so ok pause what does the earth look like what is the state of affairs we all know the world we live in it is highly polluted full of smog rivers, streams, oceans air, air, ground it's all polluted As spiritually the world looks exactly the same after 6,000 years of Satan being loosed on the earth and deceiving humanity um, it culminates in a time when the beast have gained full control over the earth the false prophet has brainwashed humanity into elevating the name of Satan and um, this culminates into a place where the beast is taken away from earth, planet earth uh, the false prophet is removed, mm. this means that what is removed from the earth is false doctrine is removed, the false prophet is gone the power of the beast, so the religion uh, the political religious force that ruled and reigned the earth that's taken away mm. so religion itself is removed uh, false doctrine and false prophecy is removed false interpre interpretation of the word is removed Satan himself is removed from the earth he can no longer deceive for a thousand years there is no deception on the earth yeah it says so that he should not deceive the nations so we are left with a world, there's still some people that are going to live on the earth and they're going to multiply. So even, even not with the factor of the Lord ruling and reigning here, just the planet is in a very unique state of being now. Since the fall. Since the fall. This is literally the state of being before the fall. No, no spiritual pollution. Imagine a planet where no pollution has occurred, all the streams are pure as it can be, the air is pure with no pollution, um, the soil is not eroded or polluted. Imagine a world like that. Now spiritually, this is the planet that we see 
at this point in time. No Satan, no deception. Mm. No demonic action. No demonic action whatsoever. No false doctrine. Mm. No false prophecy. No lies. Nothing. An unpolluted spiritual atmosphere. And within this atmosphere, we also see that the Lord, Yahushua, physically rules and reigns the planet. So you have the presence of the Son of God, the King of Kings, truth itself, the Word Himself, the fulfillment of all of God's will Himself in all His glory on earth. Without all the other factors. With Him are fallen saints or saints that have died that have now been raised from the dead, resurrected, and they are ruling and reigning with Him. The normal people out there, their life experience is this. There's no one to deceive them. There's no false doctrine. <laughs> there's no lie. Every living person on earth knows that there's a supernatural almighty being from another realm that came down to earth and is now ruling and reigning on earth reigning on earth, that is the Son of God. An immortal being from another realm. Full of glory and power. With people that used to be dead that are now resurrected Alive. in glory. This is, uh, if you, the, there's a normal person out there, everybody knows. It's no, the, the, so, so believing in God, in the existence of God, the sovereignty, the mm. power of God, that's not even... An issue. Yeah, it's a non-issue. It's a non-issue. There's no question. There's no debate. It's a fact. And believing in the Son of God is also a non-issue because, because there. there He is. And he, and you don't. Everybody knows that resurrection is true. You don't have to believe yes, in resurrection. They are the saints that were dead and they're alive. Okay. <laughs> so, so this faith is the state, state that the earth is on. Imagine that you are one of the resurrected, or you're just there, you're just there, and you have the opportunity to walk into the presence where the King of Kings is sitting in his thousand year and on earth in this atmosphere in glory, and you're going to open your mouth to address him. What name would you call him? 